Welcome to the Weight Inclusive Innovators Podcast. My name's Hannah Turnbull. And I'm Morgan Sinclair. We're two non-diet dietitians, entrepreneurs, and Enneagram 7s here to talk shop about the business side of things. From managing a team of clinicians, to building a cohesive brand, to figuring out how the heck to pay yourself, we get deep down in it talking about what it actually takes to start, run, and grow your weight-inclusive business. The good and the messy. We know your degree didn't include any business classes, at least not any applicable to what you're doing now as an entrepreneur. This is why we are on a mission to bring business education to other weight-inclusive clinicians. Say sayonara to all the hours spent on Google and hello to information that is actually relevant. Let's dive into today's episode. What's up, Weight Inclusive Innovator fam? We are back together and it feels so good. So good. So good. Today, we're going to be chatting about being financially independent ladies, managing one income households, the fears and considerations of it all, and what we've gained from it. But before we dive into today's episode, let's check in with Hannah. Hannah, what were your business highs and lows of the week? Well, an obvious high is us being back together recording. Um, What? Yep. Morgan did a solo episode a few weeks back and I did mine last week. So um, those are fun and we love banter and hearing each other's ideas because when we're having these conversations, it's in real time for us too, hearing about each other's experiences and thoughts, even though we plan a little. So that's still fun for me, I know, and I'm sure for you too, Morgan, but that's a high. It is a high. I I missed recording with you last week. I'm very happy to be back here and getting to catch up on all the things. Same Z's. So my other highs unrelated to Morgan this <laughs> week is I'm done with my stats class. Yes. I feel so relieved. And this is actually my week off from school. So the way my program set up is seven week sprints, and then I get a week break. And some of the programs actually have a week break in the middle of the seven week sprint. So I guess it's an eight week sprint with a, with a break. It doesn't matter, but it's nice because I'm like, oh my God, I don't have to spend my evenings this week doing homework. That is so fantastic. What do I want to do? What am I going to do with myself? I don't know. Maybe I'll build my Legos. Um, it's the best. That's how my master's program was set up too. And I loved it. Honestly, I swear to God, it's great for people who have ADHD. It's great for people who have a short attention span and like you learn the things and then you're done. It's not like spread out over a whole semester. So I love it too. It's nice. The other high I have is I'm only working three days this week because my sweet little nephew is coming to town to visit me. He's five months old. He's perfect. And I can't wait to see some of my family. So such good highs, man, done with stats, get to see fam three days working this week. Uh The trifecta. It is the trifecta. And there's some lows. (laughs) (laughs) So I got a freaking B plus in stats and people, I am like a solid B plus person. I, that's how I, I would grade myself in life. Like B plus, I am good enough. Stats was annoying because I worked my ass off and it was hard. And I was two fucking points from getting an A. And I, I emailed the teacher and asked if there was anything I could do. And I got rejected. (laughs) I think that's the hardest part. Like I knew that was going to be the answer. And I felt a little bit of shame of asking if I can do extra credit because I know it doesn't fucking matter. 
but it's so devastating to me. You got to shoot your shot though. Kudos to you for asking because it's like the same, the worst they can say is no. They happen to say no, but like, that's literally the worst that could happen. So 100%. I think a lot of people feel regret and I I wish I would have done this. Right. And now I know I don't have to sit here and wonder like, could I have gotten that a, could I get extra credit? Like I asked and I was rejected and that's fine. And actually now that I think about it, I'm like, I don't want to spend any more fucking time or energy on stats. (laughs) (laughs) I'm a little relieved that she said no. It's just like the two points, man. I was like so on the edge that it's just like, wow, I could have worked less hard and still gotten a B plus and not have to have spend so much time. That's the frustrating thing. That is frustrating, but I appreciate your positive reframe of, I didn't want the two points anyway, because I don't want to spend any more time doing stats. <laughs> uh-huh. We love a positive reframe around here. Not po- toxic positivity, but positive reframe when it's helpful. And my other low is I hurt my finger climbing this week. And it's such a bummer because that's like my fun thing I like to do outside of work. It's my number one hobby. And I'm not going to get to do it for at least a month. So I was, I was climbing and I was holding this tiny little hold with my middle finger and my two fingers that surround that. It doesn't matter what their names are. <laughs> and with climbing, it's, it's very much a lot of engineers and um, physicists like it because it's all about like pulleys and force and torque and all that. I don't pay attention to that stuff. I'm like, I just want to climb on some rocks, but maybe if I did, I wouldn't hurt myself. So I was pushing down too hard. And then my middle finger went pop, pop, pop. And the, the tendons fucked up. So I can't bend my middle finger. It feels really numb. And I read online that it's probably an A4 pulley injury. So womp, womp, I got to rest it. A month is such a long time to not enjoy your hobby. I'm so sorry. It's okay. It's whatever. I'll find other ways to fill my time. It's, it's going to be good. I think taking a period of time off from if you're into a sport or something is actually really helpful because your body just having that break and then almost, you don't exactly start over, but just having like a fresh new foundation to work from, I think will be good. I'm just scared. My finger's not going to go back to normal. I ordered these little, they're called like penguin somethings. You know, those toys that you have as a kid that are plastic and they are, it's full of fish and you could like stick your finger inside or your whole arm inside. It's basically that. that. And it's the size of your fingers. And then you just put it on your finger after you froze it. So it's a little bit of nostalgia. There's not the cool like stars and glitter in there, but you do get to slide it on your finger and hopefully it'll like, you know, rest, ice, compression, all the things. Yeah. Well, hoping for a speedy recovery. Thank you. It's the first time I got injured climbing, which is like, oh, wow. I went a long time without that. It's, It's time, I guess. So I guess I'm legit climbing injury. The other shoe dropped. I'm so sorry. Did the other finger tendon dropped. (laughs) Yep. That's it. What are your highs and lows? My high of the last, I guess it's technically two weeks, but it was really, it happened in the last week. I hosted the heads conference on Saturday and it was so good. Okay. Give us like the rundown. Give us like the 30 second to a minute rundown of like events and what you loved about it. 
Yes. So uh, shout out to my co-chair, the other Hannah in my life, because I wouldn't have been able to do it without her and getting to run a conference with someone that you also just like love being with makes all the difference in the world. So her and I worked on Friday from about noon until 1030 at night. Just, we were at the venue for four hours, just getting stuff set up. Sponsors were there able to set up their booths. And so getting to connect with them. And then we just had some like odds and ends, like putting together gifts for our speakers and printing things and whatnot. But we like did it at my house. We got dinner together. We had like music going on. So it was just, it was fun. Woke up really early on Saturday, got to the venue by 6.15. And then everyone started showing up around seven. And this was the first event in two years that we had all been to, which I was had just not thought through in the energy that the attendees brought was unmatched. Mm. It was the first time everyone was seeing each other. There was, everyone was just so happy to be there. It was an amazing venue. The venue couldn't have been better. Jenny Schaefer was our keynote, kicked us off really strong, incredible presentation. We had a panel discussion that like, it was with six people that made up different members of the treatment team. And they all had the questions ahead of time. And so, and I, and they're all incredible humans. I knew they were going to do great, but they just totally knocked it out of the park. I even got so much information from the panel, even though I don't treat clients anymore. I'm going way over 30 seconds. I'm so sorry. I'm just keep so it going. About it. And then finished it off with a presentation from local clinicians that was really interactive and just got people up and moving. And just like the positive feedback all day just felt I was on cloud nine the whole day. It was amazing. Uh, that sounds incredible. I, I like have chills thinking about that energy. I think about the energy of just being in a room with people in general. And then this being like the first after two years, this being like a conference, not just people getting together for a party or whatever, like, damn, that's some good ass energy. It was some good energy. It was good enough energy that I was so amped that I didn't take a nap after. And then I hosted the conference on my birthday, which made it even better. We ended the conference with everyone singing me happy birthday. Shout out to Hannah for making that happen because I felt so loved in that moment, but it was enough energy to keep me going until two o'clock in the morning to celebrate my birthday. Woo! We rallied, we partied hard and it was awesome. Happy Morgan's new year to you. It is my new year. The energy is here. I I will say I laid on my couch pretty much all day on Sunday after the conference. It, it was, and this is my low of the week, which it's technically a low, but it's also kind of a high because it's related <laughs> to my high. My energy levels have been wonky the past five days since the conference, four days, I guess, four days since the conference. I like have gone through spurts of being re-energized, just thinking about the energy from the conference. And then I'll just like crash and like, won't be able to stop yawning. So I've gotten some really good sleep, but managing that like fluctuation during the day, I'm ready for some normalcy with that. Cause I like today I was laying on my couch right before we recorded and I was like, I'm not, I'm not going to make it the podcast recording. I'm so tired. And then I ate a bagel and had some coffee. And now I'm like, energy is back. (laughs) And we're back. That actually makes a lot of sense. I'm thinking about, um, this client who shared with me, she was working with me while she was getting ready for her wedding. 
And so it's almost like the buildup to a big event that you've had in the back of your mind, have been planning a long time, the last grind of it before the event, and then executing it. And then you're like, well, shit, now what? You know, it's like the come down. So that makes so much sense to me. Yeah. It's, it's the come down from it all. And yeah, it's just weird. So I'm thankful I've had a, a, it's been a busy week, but it's been flexible enough for me to be able to rest. And so that feels really good. We love flexibility over here. Yes, we do. Ready to dive into today's episode? Let's do it. Hey, Weight Inclusive Innovators, Heather Kaplan here, founder of Weight Inclusive Nutrition and Dietetics, also known as WIND. WIND is a community for weight inclusive providers, students, and interns. We're hosting our annual virtual spring conference, April 28th to 30th, and would love to see you there. Are you frustrated by the Academy's recently proposed guidelines for adult weight management? Looking for a space to connect with fellow weight inclusive providers and get weight inclusive continuing education? If that sounds like you, I'm right there with you. Our virtual spring symposium is open for registration and you'll save $100 by registering before March 25th. Join us for three full days of continuing education, connection, and group discussions. Our featured topics for this wind spring symposium include navigating your client's weight loss goals through a weight inclusive lens, weight inclusive interventions for PCOS, a research review on weight-inclusive care for clients post-bariatric surgery and the connection between food insecurity and eating disorders, and a unique perspective on the food access pyramid and how you can implement that in your client care. Go to weightinclusivenutrition.teachable.com or email us weightinclusivenutrition at gmail.com for more information and how to register for the spring symposium happening April 28th through 30th. So today, as we mentioned, we are going to be talking about being financially independent ladies, running a business as a one income household. Whoop, whoop. And first, we do want to start with talking about the privileges that we have. Um, we recognize we have a lot of unearned privileges in a lot of different ways in the way we walk through the world. And ones that we want to name here as we have this conversation is around money and status and things like that. So I know for me with starting my practice, there was pretty low stakes. You know, I don't have student loans. I can live fairly cheaply if I need to. And I knew if it failed, like my parents would have my back if shit hit the fan. And so I name all that because I know people have a lot of different life situations where it's not just like you can only make a certain amount of money or you don't have obligations. So that's my experience. Yeah. I also want to name pretty much those exact same privileges. I am very thankful. Also don't have student loans. Had that, that back of the mind reminder that if shit hit the fan, I could call on my parents for support. Obviously wouldn't want to, like, I wouldn't want my business to hit the fan, but that option was there. Like I knew they wouldn't let me fail. Um, And also like, I don't have any dependents. Um, mm-hmm. that I've had to think about. And so um, I think I can also kind of speak for both of us that like we got to be kind of selfish in this process of only only having to think about ourselves. Okay. Well, there's one caveat to that and it's my roommate, Bennett, <laughs> <laughs> who is Bennett my dog. Is He's the worst roommate ever. He doesn't work. He doesn't help contribute. Like 
he's just a little leech on me. You can't say he doesn't contribute. I just saw him clean your plate and do the dish for you. <laughs> That's true. He is our pre-rinser. Um, I'm just kidding. Bennett's fairly cheap. I think I pay like 50 bucks a month for his vet like membership. And then I buy him food every now and again. He's, he's pretty low maintenance. So he doesn't really like toys. He likes his Frisbee and those are like 10 bucks. So yeah, Bennett is nothing. He's, he's like my, uh, he's also my hobby, I guess. So taking care of him, but yeah. So we just wanted, we wanted to name those things going into this conversation just because, you know, we are talking about money. We know that it's a touchy topic. And we also recognize that we have had a lot of privilege and have currently have a lot of privilege that have allowed us to start our own businesses. Absolutely. Absolutely. And this isn't the only conversation we're going to have about money. This is like one piece of a giant web of conversations we want to have because uh, money is just, it's a necessity. I don't even want to say it's the root of all evil. I used to say that, but I actually don't think that's true. I just think we live in an unfair system that people aren't equal and we need money for resources and to take care of ourselves. And it doesn't have to be a negative thing. And it doesn't have to be a power greedy thing either. Yes. Thank you for, for naming both of that. I think there definitely is a happy middle ground for all of it, which, which is where we stand. Yeah. The, the question that we I don't know if I've ever actually gotten asked this question directly, but I feel like it's definitely like an unspoken question as people are venturing into entrepreneurship is, is it possible to survive on your own in a weight inclusive business as a one income household? You guys, this is my question. I used to always think this whenever I was starting my private practice of like thinking of people I looked up to who are in their own practice, had group practices, were doing different things in the weight inclusive space. I'm like, how much money do they make? And like, are they, are they able to do this because they have a spouse or a partner? Like, how do they, how do they do it? And part of it was, I just couldn't conceptualize it because I hadn't been through it. And then part of it was, I think it was fairly new to private practice at that point, maybe seeing a few clients and I'm like, fuck, this is not enough money. Yeah, I had, I have absolutely had that same, I've had that same mindset, being able to look and see businesses. And for me, it was looking at design studios and, you know, I think there's, there's something to say about having people in your network that you see doing like running their own business, regardless of what type of business it is, where it's like, okay, so like clearly it's possible, but how? I, I just, you want to take a peek into their personal finances, <laughs> into their bank account and see like how they're, how they're making it happen. Yeah. I know one thing I would think about at that time too, is there was no representation of people talking about having a business and it being successful as in can provide money to a single income household. Like we would just learn, like you go to school to be a dietitian and then you work for somebody. And that's not bad at all. That can be really good, right? Like I hire people, you have some contract people, like that happens and that's awesome. And there's also the opportunity to be the person who is the business owner. Like that is possible. And that can be money that you take home and support yourself with. And that's just awesome. It's awesome to me. 
It is. It's very, it's yeah, it's great. I, I think the lack of representation too was, and I, I feel like this happened even in like middle school, high school, college. When you think of running a business, you think of like the, or at least I did the corner office of some high rise building, which is not what <laughs> either of either of our businesses look like right now. I'm literally sitting in athleisure in my studio apartment where I can see my bed. Like I, I don't get dressed up in business casual every day. I don't, it's just, that's such a grandiose scale that I don't think I ever really saw what like a small business looked like. Yes. I totally agree with that visual. And I know in one of our previous episodes, we kind of talked about like what career we would be in if not dietitians or not doing what we're doing. And I, I think I said being like a corporate boss lady, like I think I would thrive in that setting. And that's the same settings I would think of in business too. And yeah, we were never shown, like you can literally have a business as a one person show, or like you can hire a small team. There was actually a really good episode on the podcast. So money, which I really like, and we'll write in the show notes. And they talked about micro businesses And how that's kind of been a really, it's been a big thing for a while, but kind of escalated with the pandemic of people leaving big corporations, the great resignation, going into their own businesses. And the fact that you don't have to have a big business to make a ton of money. And I say, I say a quote unquote ton of money as in like the business bringing in a ton of revenue in our setting, in private practices and group practices, obviously like we're paying people fairly and we have expenses. Our profit margin is pretty low compared to other industries, but you could bring in a lot of revenue. You absolutely could. Getting to watch the great resignation happen and also being a part of it. Cause I quit my job November of 2020. So right in the right smack dab in the middle of it. It has been so cool to see that. I'm like, F yeah, own it. Screw the mental workload that happens. Workload's not the right word. What's the word I'm looking for? Burden? Burden? Burden might be a good word. Of working a corporate job that is right alongside burnout. Like, screw that. (laughs) Not about that at all. Yeah. I actually think a, a few of my employees that joined my team left bigger corporations, industries, companies, to come to something smaller and something more in alignment with their values. So I like to think that's my part of the great resignation. I'm like, come here, come to our, our nourish Colorado family. We love you. We'll take care of you. Mm -hmm. We won't burn you out. Yeah. It's nice. One question that I do get asked frequently, which I have very strong opinions about, and I'm, I'm sure you do too, is I'm ready to work for myself. Should I take out a loan to start my business? Mm, mm. What's your answer? Absolutely not. (laughs) Okay. Say more. Not in our space, at least. I'm sure there's times where it would be helpful if you were a product-based business, maybe definitely not in our industry. We don't need to do that. You, it's risky and I'm not saying you shouldn't take risks because I love taking risks, but it's just one of those things where you can start a weight inclusive business, thinking private practice or coaching, supervision, those types of businesses with very few expenses 
that it makes more sense just to set aside a percentage of some of your income from your full-time job to build up those startup fees that you need. Absolutely. And I think that's what a lot of people tend to do. There's not a ton of startup fees for, you know, private practice service-based things, but if you're working a full-time job and you're, you know, the time it takes to build a business and like start to grow it and then jump ship, which we'll talk about, if you can just throw 20 bucks, 50 bucks, something into a savings account of like, okay, here's my nest egg that I'm going to start with. If I need to spend money to start this thing, having that, and then having your own kind of savings fund, emergency funds, I think is adequate. When you start to take out loans, you know, people could argue you have to spend money to make money. And I kind of think like you have to make money first. And then, and then I do agree with that sentiment when it comes to like business coaching and supervision and things like that. When you spend money on those things, in turn, you're giving people better care. You're taking better care of your employees and your business. And then what follows that is revenue. Yeah, you nailed it. I also love that you pointed out like a personal emergency fund too. Definitely important. Definitely something I had before I jumped ship. I would say on average, just having watched so many friends go through the process of working a full-time job up until they started their own practice and and ran their own practice full-time, I would say on average, 12 to 18 months from the time that they like decide to see their first client outpatient up until they're ready to jump ship. So you have time. So I think that recommendation of 20, 50 bucks a month more, if you can, should get you a pretty solid base of the startup fees you have for your business, such as paying for your EMR, Zoom, if you need Zoom, building a basic website. That's kind of all you need, maybe an email. But again, all of those usually won't cost more than a couple hundred dollars max. Yeah. And you got to start somewhere, right? I think sometimes when we think about jumping ship, having a business, depending on that for income, you have to take the steps to get there. Like it's not just, okay, I'm going to do this. Here I go. I hope I make the money I made or more at the last job. Boom. Like, no, it's a process. It's a transition. It absolutely is. And I think there's, there has to be eventually that jump. I think I left my corporate job way before I'm like, I was not anywhere close to matching my corporate income when I jumped ship. There were a lot of factors that went into it. I'm very thankful I did. And I knew that. And and I knew I had a personal emergency fund. Do you feel comfortable sharing how much of an emergency fund you had when you jumped ship? Let me see if I can remember. Hmm. Okay. So let me give a, a little background about my jumping ship. Maybe that will help me remember as I talk it out. So after I graduated college, I was working at the hospital in Missouri. Loved it. Loved the people I worked with. Knew I didn't want to do clinical forever, but it was a really good experience. And I was making a really solid dietitian salary for the Midwest. It was around 50,000. And so with not having a lot of loans, expenses. I was living with the person I was dating at the time. So my rent was super cheap. Like I was like, dang, I can save like a thousand dollars a month right now. And I did. 
So I'm pretty sure when I moved out to Denver, I had at least 10 grand in my savings account as I was working at the ice cream shop. And as I was growing my practice and investing in my practice, because at that point, like I started to look at offices and, you know, eventually was spending some of that money. My savings went down for a while. And I was like, Oh God, Hannah, like we can't be doing this. Um, so I didn't maintain that nest egg. I did use it. And that's what it was intended for. Right. was to offset some living expenses to help me get to where I want to be. So yeah. What about you? Yeah. So also going to give a little bit of background, all of the money that I had working jobs throughout college and right after before I, I mean, even through my internship, I was supported by my parents and again, going to name that immense privilege that I had. And so majority of the money that I made was going directly into a savings account. So yeah, probably had close to about 15,000, uh, when I finished my internship, I then moved to Italy and didn't have a job. And so lost a couple thousand of that, which I was anticipating doing an experience that I wouldn't give up for the world. I was I, I'm so happy that I was able to do that. And then working a corporate job built that back up a little bit. I had things allocated to different aspects of my life. What I really wanted to make sure was like of that money, I had a certain percentage set aside strictly for emergency savings. And I think I had around $4,000 in that to give me some cushion for whenever I quit my corporate job Mm -hmm. that has that drained completely my first year. Yep. It was, and I I know, I know we'll get to this, but I took a significant pay cut going from a very stable biweekly paycheck to a lot of instability, like a, a lot, like cut it in more than half. And so it was rough. And and I'm very thankful I had that emergency fund there. It definitely saved my ass. I think what gives us hope to be able to tolerate times like that is, again, this is a normal thing to go through. This is part of the journey. You're not just going to jump ship. And it's like, woo, I'm making all the money in the world. Because if at that point that was happening, that means you were probably working two full-time jobs. And I, I, are you okay? Do you need to take time to rest from burnout? We just... I just sent you that TikTok that I had no clue. And again, this is research from TikTok. I haven't actually Googled this to see if it's valid or not. But it the TikTok said it takes three to five years to recover from burnout. That's a long time. Yeah. And it's like in that time, like what if you just keep getting burnt out and burnt out? Like, does that extend the time? I feel like it has to, which is terrifying. Terrifying. And I remember feeling that I remember being pretty dang burnt out on my corporate job. And as soon as I left, that feeling didn't go away. I feel like I was like recovering from burnout for months. And this was in a time where I was working for myself and allowed myself to only work like 20 hours a week because I just mentally couldn't handle it anymore. Yeah. And again, we want to continuously acknowledge, like, we know that's not an option for everybody to, to pause and like slow down and not work full time. And I know for me, I can live cheap as fuck. I don't know about you, Morgan. Well, I want to hear about it in a minute, but like, 
I often vacillate between, should I just like get a van and like live out of that and be, um, just a little, a little dirt bag that lives on the street or at rock crags so I can go climb. And like, I could live fairly cheaply doing that. But then I'm like, oh, I do like nice things sometimes when they're intentional. So, but push comes to shove. I could, I could spread out my resources. I am not that way. (laughs) (laughs) I had one last thought. Literally like my clients will call me out. I I have like four outfits. That's what I, I just rotate them. I don't really care about clothes. The clothes I have, I like, but I let, I just, I don't know. Like, I'm like, how do people spend all this money on clothes? I got my four outfits. I'm so comfy in them. So it's a capsule wardrobe. It is a capsule wardrobe. Yes, I agree. And I'm also, you want to like, put a fancy name to it. I'm trendy guys. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm not that way. Um, <laughs> that was a rude awakening for me. My first year of business. My first, let me rephrase that. That was a rude awakening for me. My first full year of full-time entrepreneurship. I did not make that many adjustments to my spending habits. Womp, womp, womp. Yeah. Lived my best life, but. (laughs) Love that for young Morgan. Got a little bit of credit card debt throughout that. That is now, which I also went in anticipating wouldn't recommend necessarily, but I also, I don't know. I, I feel very solid with my ability to, to manage money and, and, and very mindful of it. And so I just kept, kept some good tabs on it. I've never been good at budgeting. Mm. This is, I think this is why whenever I restrict myself. Yes. Do you know where this is going? Yep. Keep going. Whenever I restrict my spending and I tell myself, like, I'm only going to go to one coffee, I'm only going to go get coffee once. (laughs) I'm triggered. It has the same fucking effect as the restrict binge cycle for eating for me. And honestly, the cycle shows up in my life and I assume other people's lives in a lot of different ways. I know we mentioned this on, on other episodes, but whenever I put myself on a really strict budget, I make it a day and then I'm like, fuck it. I'm buying a plane ticket. <laughs> and that defeats the purpose. Uh-huh. I mean, it makes sense, right? That budgets can kind of be compared to diet culture. And that's what a lot of business books do. Ugh. So yeah, we get real mad. I'm the same way. I, I And we know you know, it's health, it's helpful to eat fruits and vegetables and take care of our bodies and move in ways that feel good. Just like it's helpful to be mindful of spending and to spend really intentionally and spend money on the things you really care about and then cut back on the rest because it doesn't matter. And it doesn't feel good when you spend money on that stuff. So like for me, clothes, like target for life. And so it's not, it doesn't have to be this capped thing And obviously I'm going to put an asterisk because sometimes like we do have to live on a tight budget for a bit, depending on situations, but when we can just be mindful and think about our values and do spending based on that, that's when I feel the most in tune with myself. Like I don't need to go out and have fancy dinners all the time. Like if, if someone cooks a meal for me at home and like we split the cost of ingredients and we get to spend that quality time together, like that's so nice. Or I love a weekend night where I just water my plants for two hours. And that's like 
my plan, you know, that's cheap. It's free besides the plants that I already bought, which I accumulate over time. It, you know, there's just so many joys and things in life that are so good that are fairly cheap. Yeah, absolutely. I, I've loved hosting people over for dinner. Um, that's been a, a really fun switch and planning things with people that do not cost a lot of money. And at the same time, I love going out to like really fun dinners and happy hours with friends, but that's also like, that's part of my values to an extent, like having that social time and getting to spend time with people in that way. And just like be out and about and live that, like live city life fills my bucket so much. And so there's definitely a balance and it's, and it's one of those things like, right. Like I'm not going to, I'm not frivolous with my spending. I'm very aware of it. Um, and I know that I do not do well on a really strict budget. Yep. Totally. Like, please, everybody listening, live your best life, spend money on the things you really care about. Like I know for a while, <laughs> which I, I cut back on a little bit just cause we have some like transitional stuff going on and I'm trying to build out nourish Colorado and invest in my team. But, um, when I had like kind of more disposable income, I'd go get a massage every other week. And like, I have my nails done right now. Like, yeah, you do too. I do too. And those things are not necessary at all. And some people might be like, gosh, that's like lux." and sure. Maybe it is. And it's nice. I like it. It makes me feel like I have my shit together. Yes. There's and something about gonna... having gel on your nails. Yes. And if that's going to encourage me to sit down on my laptop and work because I feel like I have my shit together because my nails are done. So be it. Yep. Yep. And I used to be a little bit more, so I'm, I'm like kind of a frugal gal. I go through phases, but like, I used to kind of say, I'm not going to get my nails done. How do people spend that money every three weeks or whatever to do it? And I'm now I'm like, Oh my God, it brings me so much joy when I'm click, click, clicking on my computer and my nails are done. And I'm like, wow, my, my boss red nails what I call these. Like they make me feel like a boss and just that little bit of like quality of life enhancement. Like that's nice. It's fine. It is nice. So one thing we wanted to go through, which I'm sure we've already touched on quite a few of these, but we have a nice list in front of us is the fears and considerations to think through as financially independent ladies and things that have impacted our decision-making in starting a business. And as financially independent ladies are going to speak to our experience from a lady lens, I know there might be folks with different identities and genders out there. So I just want to acknowledge that. So when you're on your own and you have your own expenses, it's kind of hard because in a way you're paying for two of everything. I'm kind of saying it ass backwards, but you know what I mean? We don't have anybody to split expenses with. Um, I know for me, I have a mortgage and sometimes that really sucks. I'm like, oh man, if somebody else lived here with me, I could like cut my rent in half, but then I'm like, or my mortgage in half, but I'm like, I love living alone. And I don't know if I want to share my things. I don't own my studio, but I also have lived by myself for three and a half years now in my little space. And I love it but right there with you. I have to, I'm full vulnerability. I have to stop myself from getting in the headspace of if only I had a partner that I could split mm. this with. It's tough. It's and, and I think part of it is like so many of my friends 
and they are incredible, supportive, amazing humans who were just in different stages of life. But so many of my friends who ran and will run, currently run their own business are married to primarily engineers, (laughs) but I'm going to say a partner with a really stable job and stable mm-hmm. income. And I know like none of that's ever guaranteed. We saw that with the pandemic, people lost jobs. Like I get it. I also don't want to assume that they, you know, they all have their own financial journeys as well from the outside. Seeing that is really tough sometimes because I'm like, man, the things that I'd be able to do if I was a part of what's the phrase? A dink, a dual income, no kids. Yes. A dink, a dink. And I'm not a dink. I'm a, (laughs) Uh and it makes, it just, it, it, it makes a difference, right? Regardless of what that looks like, being able to split expenses with someone looks a lot different than having to pay for everything yourself. And the financial, at least from my side, perceived financial stability that comes with having an extra income to fall back on if shit hits the fan. Totally. Thank you for sharing that. I'm sorry. I'm still smirking because I'm laughing at the fact that you're a sink. (laughs) (laughs) And yeah, I mean, and, and I think what's hard too, and I, am sure you have these thoughts and it's part of like, you'd like to stop thinking of it in that way is we should have partners because we want to, and like we are connected and we want to do life together and it's not a dependent thing. Right. I know for me, I always want to have finances separate. I always like, I will have a prenup. I will have all these things. I want to, if I get married, I don't even know if I'm going to get married. And like, that's just important to me. So even though having separate finances, if you're with a partner and living together, like you still split stuff. I think it's not going to give you the thing that you want because it's like, okay, if you're splitting expenses so that you can have more of your um, resources to go do the things you want, do X, Y, and Z in the world, there may be a a off kilter balance of like, well, shoot, I can't go do those things because like I have this obligation or, you know, I don't feel free because I'm in this relationship or whatever might come up. I'm not talking by myself at all. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. No, I think those are, it's like, it's, it's great things to think through and having to hold space for both of them. Because I, I, even with everything you're saying, like, yes, I agree with that. I am in a very similar mindset of, of wanting to be able to financially support myself without a partner. And when that's what's happening around me, it's, you know, it's just, it's things, things that I'm constantly aware of, um, especially because I feel like I was, I mean, I was raised in like the suburbs of Houston where generally speaking, everyone had a two income household. And so that kind of gets ingrained in your brain of like, Oh, that's what I'm going to have too. Mm-hmm. And then when that doesn't happen in the quote unquote timely manner that it should with our expectations, societal expectations, it makes you think. It does. It's, there's some like internalized beliefs there. Yeah. It's, it's always so interesting to, to think about and talk through. And I know after this episode, I'll feel like vulnerability hangover. Cause this is the thing about money and finances is it, it's the root of everything and it affects values and life and how you 
move through the world. So it's not just, I can afford my expenses or like I could split this with my partner. It, it, It kind of has a butterfly effect from there. And we can objectively say like, it is easier to be in your own business when you have another income in your household or somebody with a stable job that offsets your expenses. Yeah. There's that stability of being able to fall back on something. I know that this was kind of a younger self-thought, a consideration with private practice, but I, I was wondering, I always wondered like, okay, can I actually do this? Like, will I get to the point where I'm seeing enough clients doing enough, whatever, to where I make an income that I'm proud of or really supports me at a higher level and not just getting by. I am still in that mindset, having just finished my first year of business and was able to pay myself money. Like I at least gave myself an income. Thank you, Profit First Method. And it is definitely not the salary that I want to be paying myself forever. Like there's no way I'd be able to continue to survive on that salary. Um, and, and so the, yeah, that constant state of wondering if it's possible and what do I need to put into place to make that possible mm-hmm. is always looming. It, I would say that that mindset contributed to majority of the anxiety that I had last year because it's fucking scary. It's totally scary. And I appreciate you sharing that too. I think when folks like whether they're listening to our pod, wanting to learn about business or like they look up to us because we have these businesses that are successful and we could do a whole another podcast episode on success in business and what that actually means. I think it's put on a pedestal of like, oh, they must be making like multiple six figures and blah, 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 blah. In reality, I, I vacillate in my income too, because like I said earlier, I want to invest in my businesses. And I know that'll pay off in the future. And sometimes you have to go through periods where you're like, cool. So I'm going to pay my mortgage and have a little bit of extra money and I'm not going to do anything else. That's really normal. Very normal. I didn't mean to laugh. I'm just, I'm not close to six figures yet. And so, and that's the goal. Like that's the end goal, but, uh, yeah, it, it takes a while to, to build up to that. It's a lot easier, quote unquote, easier when you scale your business too. Mm-hmm. like having a group practice makes it more stable for income when I'm not in a growth phase. And that's, that's just the reality of business too, is when you have other people bringing in revenue, that's really helpful. Absolutely. And I mean, like we talked about in the diversifying our income podcast about scaling, like definitely something that whenever I think of having a six figure business, it is perfectly in alignment with being able to scale my business. 100%. The next fear and consideration that probably had the strongest hold on me was how am I, how am I going to get health insurance? Okay. I have strong feelings about this because it's a very real thing people need to think about, like being someone who basically studies insurance because I want to maximize benefits for my clients and, you know, help get coverage for people for eating disorder treatment and things. It can be very dire to need health insurance. I mean, it is right. Like it's actually required and you do get some kind of tax fine if you don't have health insurance. 
And I feel like corporate America or just like the grind makes like almost holds that over people. And that's when they stay in jobs for too long or like jobs they don't really want to do. They're like, oh, I can't lose my health insurance. I can't lose my health insurance, which is very real. It just makes me sad that that's held over people. It sucks. It totally sucks. And even figuring out how health insurance works because you can't, and I don't know if it's different by state, but like you can't have a PPO as a single member LLC. I think that's correct. I think that's correct. Yeah. I would say, I feel like I remember people, people telling me that. And so I ended up hiring a health insurance broker for my first year because I was what, 28, 27. I was 27 whenever I went out on my own. So off my parents' health insurance. And I ended up getting a HMO plan for my first year. One out of 10 recommend. (laughs) And the only reason I have one on there is because I had health insurance because I had to. There you go. It was awful. I avoided going to the doctor because of the hassle of getting in to see specialists. And I will, I will, I will, you know, own another privilege. I'm a very healthy individual. I don't need to see specialists for anything. When I say specialists, I talk about like women's wellness exam and dermatologists for annual checkups. I ended up not renewing it this year. I'm actually doing a direct primary care model where I pay like a monthly membership to see a doctor. And I have, it's like concierge medication or not medication, concierge medicine, where I can go see her basically whenever I want. And she's haze aligned, which is a freaking gem. Yeah. It's awesome. All that to say that held me back a lot because even someone, again, someone who understands insurance decently well, because I've had to deal with it through the line of work of working in eating disorders. When I got on the phone with the health insurance broker for the first time, and she was explaining things to me and I'm like, this is so over my head. Mm-hmm. How do people that don't have any experience with insurance make decisions like this? 100%. Well, that's how a lot of people fall into that trap of, I have health insurance. You accept my health insurance. That means here you go. Here's my payment, but not really like insurance is going to cover it. That's not how it works at all. No, it's not. I definitely have gotten some nice surprise bills. And I was like, a heads up would have been fab that you were going to send me a bill for $300 to review a skin tag you pull off my shoulder. (laughs) 100%. Well, and that's why they have the good faith estimate required now, now, which we could probably talk about in a whole different episode. Um, Basically, if you're in private practice, especially if you're private pay, look that up because- you should be doing something with that so that you don't get in trouble. You have until June. So you have a few months. Oh, incredible. I think June 1st is the cutoff. Okay. And I I think they're heading in the direction for even in-network providers. So I know we have protocols at our practice. So for my practice, I know when I first was in private practice, I was still on my parents for a hot minute. And then all of a sudden I turned 26 and I was like, fuck. So then I got a cheapy plan through Bright Health, which I don't recommend. I don't think I used it once. And I was actually reading about them yesterday, surprisingly, because they actually have been, and hopefully knock on wood, this doesn't come bite me in the ass putting them on blast, but whatever. I don't give a fuck. They have been contracting with therapists and therapists signed. They didn't get a fee schedule and 
it'll basically be where they don't get paid. The therapist doesn't get paid by the insurance company. And they, they're just like, well, you signed a contract that said you would see our patients. Oh my God. Yeah. I don't know all the details, but I was reading about it and I was like, holy, as a takeaway from this, if nothing else, please always look at your fee schedules to see what you're going to get paid. Make sure it doesn't say $0. Why would anybody sign that contract? Was, or there just wasn't a fee schedule for it. So please get your fee schedules. Oof, man. Yeah. So anyway, Bright Health didn't really cover shit. I didn't really use it. I think I was in such a grind. I was like, I'm not going to the wall woman exam this year. I don't recommend that. Um, (laughs) and now, and so for my company, I had to, you have to have for certain plans, we have blue cross blue shield for certain plans. You have to have at least one or two other employees outside of the owner. So we couldn't offer it until, oh gosh, I want to say September, 2020 was when we started offering it which is great. And now we, we have like four different plans we offer. There's an HSA option, like really happy with the insurance we have. It's expensive AF, but it's also worth it to have that as an expense and to make sure everybody at my company is protected if they need it. To summarize that fear and consideration, I think it's probably the number one fear deterrent, deterrent of doing it. And it is possible. It is. It sucks to figure it out. There's a lot of people that are also in the same boat though. So we need to start like a, I need to find my own health insurance support group amongst Mm -hmm. entrepreneurs. Yes. Yeah. Because so the other option, right. Is to go look on marketplace and get Mm -hmm. a plan. And I know the brokers can kind of help with that. But when it, when the premium is six, seven, eight, nine, a thousand dollars a month, and then add in, if you have dependents or whatnot, like that could be all of your income gone on health insurance. Yeah, it's not, it's not fine. It's definitely, definitely, I would say it's definitely a stressor and working for yourself will likely outweigh once you find something that works for you. Yeah. And just know, like, if you have to start on a cheapy plan, if that's accessible to you, again, we are acknowledging being young, um, I don't even want to use the word healthy because I think folks who have chronic illness or things that need to be tended to are still healthy. Like it's their version of healthy, not diet culture, white supremacy version of healthy. It's just, we don't have a lot of medical expenses. Yeah. That's a great, pretty much. Another consideration that I actually went through and based on your story, I imagine you did too, Hannah, is working multiple jobs. Mm Mm-hmm. There are a lot of emotions. One of those emotions was being terrified to leave the stability of a biweekly paycheck. I actually applied to work at Jenny's Ice Cream and had a few other places that I was going to apply to within like if if the first month of me working for myself didn't go the way I was hoping it to, I was ready to do whatever it took to get a part-time job to be able to, to try to support myself while I was still building up my business. I'm, I was like sitting here, like ready to speak. Cause I am like excited, like a little dog. Um, yes, that I, that is like big entrepreneur energy of like, I'm willing to do whatever the fuck this takes to make this happen. It's like the grit and the, um, impulsivity and the, like, let's go, let me get my hand in the ice cream bucket. I will scoop shit. Like let's, let's do this. And I'll work on my business on the side. That's a very feasible option and totally doable. And I actually I did work at the ice cream shop while I was building my practice. 
and it was, it was a good experience. It was really fun. Like it was a fun time. It's okay. If you're a dietitian, if you're a therapist, if you're someone with a professional degree or no professional degree, if you work at an ice cream shop or a coffee shop or target, it doesn't matter. It's, there's no shade. It's, I think it's actually really awesome to work in a service industry and have that front facing customer experience and have compassion for people who do that all the time. Like you're not above it. Absolutely. I ended up not, well, I never got an interview for Jenny's, which makes sense because it was literally (laughs) in the middle of winter, still in the pandemic. Mm. So I'm like, I had time to get ice cream. I get it. They were like, the store wasn't even open. Like you had to like order from outside. They were like, weren't letting people in the store. So anyway, I get it. And it was an option. Absolutely. Absolutely. And you applied. They just, they said, no. Dude, I went all out on my cover letter too. I opened up Procreate in my iPad and traced out one of my favorite pint of ice cream into a little graphic and put it on my cover letter. I was very proud of it. Wait, what's your favorite? It was the, um, shit, you're going to put me on the spot. (laughs) Remember what it was. Hold, please. We surprisingly don't have a Jenny's ice cream here in Denver. I don't know why. I know it's it's mean, right? Like there should That's be one. I so love Jenny's. Sad. You can buy Jenny's at Whole Foods for ten dollars a pint if you really want it. But I'm like, that steep. Back to not budgeting, but being mindful of money. I'm like, I will get my two dollars and fifty cent when on sale. Whatever ice cream, you know. Yeah. Um. It was the coffee with cream and sugar. Oh, that makes sense for you. I love that for you. Yeah. You want to see it? If you're watching the YouTube, you can get a. Yeah. A little sneak peek into this. There it is. Oh my gosh. So cute, right? So cute. Oh, we should put that like in the show notes, a screenshot of that. Absolutely. We'll gladly include it. That's such a seven move. (laughs) It was also a creative outlet because my anxiety, it was, I mean, it was a time where I was like literally like quitting my job and all of that, all the things that come with that. And it was a nice creative outlet. I love that for you. The next thing, which we already touched on fear and consideration is being able to live cheap, mm-hmm. which as I mentioned, did not do this. My first year of entrepreneurship, I was my, I, I say that really boldly. I was very, I was very mindful of it. I just received business <laughs> advice a few years ago mm. and it was spend the way you want to make basically. What? Like, what? Zero out of 10 recommend that advice. Don't do it. <laughs> Terrible business advice. But it was basically, and, and I think the intention behind it was to prevent you from fully living in a scarcity mindset. So I get the intention behind it. I also took it way too literally. <laughs> I'm sorry to laugh at your expense. <laughs> you can totally laugh. I mean, that sounds dreamy. Like, oh yeah, let me just spend how I want to make. Like, you know, what uh, reminds me of is Anna Delvey, the inventing Anna. The, I haven't watched it yet. Oh man, she basically just it. like put, spent all of this money and was like, it's being transferred from my bank in Germany. There's just something wrong with the wire transfer, and like didn't pay for anything. That's what. Oh, okay. I need to add that to my watch list. Maybe since I don't have homework this week, I will watch that. Yes. But anyway, don't recommend that. My recommendation would be to look at your expenses, 
at least keep tabs on them. Yeah. Bare minimum. Yeah. I know for me in the beginning, and I still fall into this trap sometimes, usually when I'm in a grind, I like spent way too much money on takeout coffee. Like I was going to the coffee shop every day or like stopping by every day. And I'm like, oh shit, that's a lot. And then it became very mindless. So it wasn't even a novelty anymore. It was like, this is just what I do now. This is my life. Part of the routine. Mm-hmm. I felt yeah. I fall into that too. Yeah. And then it's not even as enjoyable. And I think that's like when you are being mindful with your money, when you're living life in alignment with your values, I think, it, and maybe, I don't know, it might just be me, but I think when people do that, they realize like, oh, I actually don't like need that much money. Like at points of time, like if I want to travel or like want to get a house or whatever I do, but like my day to day is not luxe. Yeah. I definitely fell into the trap of the daily coffee during the pandemic, actually, because I was like, pat on the back, Morgan, you're supporting small businesses that (laughs) right now. And I was getting coffee. And then through that, I became friends with all of the baristas. And so I'd walk in and they'd be like, Hey Morgan, what your usual today? And it made me feel so loved. How they get you. <laughs> That's how they get you. And so then it became almost a daily thing. And I, I feel like I go go like through ebbs and flows with going to get coffee now. Like parts of me, like if I am like just having a hard time getting motivated, like that's always a really good thing to like get up and go do in the mornings to just like get my day started. And just for listeners, like we do support local and we want to support local coffee shops. Um, (laughs) yes. Yes. So one of the last considerations and, and things I know is hard for people, um, to think about being financially independent and using money that they earn from their business to take care of themselves and only depend on that is just not having learned anything about business, what to expect, investing profit margins, all of that stuff. 100%. I know it's like an ongoing joke with like our age group of like, would have been so helpful to learn how to like manage my money instead of figuring out this algebraic equation, whatever. And it's so true. One thing that comes to mind for me. So I had, I remember having one experience learning how to run business. And I don't know if this is just like specific to Houston because Anyone I've talked to who grew up in like the suburbs of Houston had this experience, even if we were in different school districts. So it's very interesting, but it was called Exchange City. And it was basically this like made up city called Exchange City, where everyone had a job within the city. There was like a radio broadcaster. There was the police station, the bank, the post office, the the popcorn shop, uh, like all these different businesses. And we basically had to learn how all of the businesses interacted and intertwined together. And I remember very vividly, I was the accountant of the popcorn shop. Shout out to being raised by my two parents who were both accountants. thought I was going (laughs) to fall in their footsteps was the accountant for the popcorn shop. And I ended up taking a break because I wanted to go hang out with my friends who were also on a break. And the bank ran out of money because (laughs) I didn't take money and like bring it back to the bank. So no one else could like function basically. A little traumatizing, (laughs) but we figured it out very quickly. But I had to learn how to like balance a checkbook and write checks and do all that kind of stuff which is not taught 
you know, it's funny. Cause I'm like, Oh, people still use checks, which I do when I have to, like if I'm reimbursing somebody for something or like I, one place I rented a while ago wanted checks. And I'm like, okay, fine. I guess I'll go pay the $10 to get things printed again. Yeah. Um, but with like Venmo and, and things now it's like, do we need checks? But I think that is one of the things that we did learn in school. I honestly, I don't remember much, but I love that you have that experience in fifth grade. Also side note, I do believe there's like an accounting major to eating disorder dietitian pipeline. <laughs> I think that's true. I know a there bunch of people be. who went through that, myself included. So I know for me, my biggest core memory, I don't know why I said that word, but of financial stuff, like growing up and what I did learn was just watching my parents be so frugal. My parents lived within their means. They lived super cheap, um, not due to lack of money by any means. It's just, that wasn't important to them. What was important was spending time together and like doing work that they like to do. And I, th- I think that's really notable. And I, I think I appreciate that now more as an adult. Cause as a kid, I was like, why the fuck can't you just buy me this new pair of jeans? That's a hundred dollars from buckle. <laughs> Good old buckle jeans. Absolutely. Oh, buckle. I know we, I hope we didn't fear monger anybody about like what you need to consider with like, if this is feasible and you know, we do want to talk about the positives of being in this position. There's a lot of great things about being financially independent. So the first one is we're fucking badasses. Like the fact that we we provide for ourselves, it's super empowering. Like this experience of entrepreneurship, I'm like, I can do whatever the fuck I want in the world. Like not in a, like I can do what I want, but like a, I can do anything that I put my resources, my mind to asterisk privilege is there obviously. Yeah. Like I feel like a badass. You feel like a badass. I feel like a total badass. This specifically came up whenever I was talking to my therapist, uh, recently about just things in my life. And she, and we were like talking about living this quote unquote traditional life versus a non-traditional life. And she's like, no decision that you've made so far, Morgan, in your adulthood has pointed towards a traditional life. And it's that non-traditional living that has allowed you to like figure out who you are, own what you want to do, find out what values are most important to you. And say yes to just like really cool experiences. Agree. The traditional thing sounds boring as book. No offense. Like just for us sevens who want to be free and like be weird and do random things that other people may not want to do. Like that's, that's just what we love. So that's we love thrive off of it. We are thriving most times. I also think with a positive of this is just like, the full ownership of our lives in like, this is my business and I provide for all these people and I get to support them. I get to help them grow. I get to help other group practice owners build group practices where they're doing the thing that I'm doing of supporting people, helping them grow. And it's just like, that is so cool to me. It probably ties into the badass thing, but I'm just like, wow, I made all this. And I'm going to specifically add on to that of like, there's not really a cap mm-hmm. of how much you can grow or make or make or do with your business. Yep. yep. I would say the, the, 
it's, oh my God, it's so exciting. I would say that one of the last, I mean, there's a lot of positives, but one of the last things that you and I can both like totally own is that it's allowed us to be so values driven. Mm, yes, it absolutely has. Like we talked about, because we've had to look at our spending habits, be resourceful, stretch our capacity for instability and uncertainty, like, dang, that really just brings you to the core of what life is about and like connecting to values and how you want to live and who you want to be in the world. And like, that's the shit that keeps me going. hundred percent. I am, am right there with you. That's what we have today about being financially independent, our own lived experience. Ladies, we hope this didn't deter you from wanting to start your business and continuing it. But we just wanted to bring all aspects of what this has looked like, especially with our own lived experiences, because I know I wouldn't have these conversations unless it were, or I've only had these conversations because I also have friends who have gone through it. And that's usually what comes up over happy hour. So we're hoping just to be able to bring this to y'all. Thanks for listening to the Weight Inclusive Innovators podcast. If you like what you hear, go ahead and subscribe to the pod on Apple iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcast. Please leave us a rating and review, share with a business bestie, and check out our website at weightinclusiveinnovators.com. See you next week. Bye, everyone.